the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No VIT. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Just how the people live, they're just gonna die. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Just how the sinner lives, they're just gonna die. The time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. God gave no other rainbow sign. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. It won't be the water, be the fire next time. The time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when a sinner must die. Sinners, I beg you to practice and pray. It looks like judgment in the heavens these days. The time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Times are coming when the sinner must die. Die. You better get down on your knees and pray. Time, time's coming when the sinner must die. Oh, sinners, you better get ready. Oh, you better get ready. Hallelujah, sinners, you better get ready. Time, time's a coming when the sinner must die. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining us today. With me in studio is my fiance, Alexandra. We're talking about a subject that is of vital import to you as a Christian, and that is how do we speak to sinners in such a way that they are brought to Jesus Christ? in such a way that they are converted 
Now, this is very difficult because in our culture, we've homogenized everything. We have a culture of tolerance. And so we don't like to think that anyone is truly a sinner. Everybody is doing their best. And we should just try to make progress. I can't tell you how many Christians I've spoken to. And I have asked them very kindly. Are you clean with Jesus? Or are you still walking in some kind of sin? And they've answered me. Pastor, there are. There are things in my life I'm struggling with. And I said, do you mean things in your life that are sin? Yes, Pastor, but Jesus loves me. He loves me unconditionally. Well, it's this kind of attitude that makes it almost impossible to speak to a sinner about their salvation because we have totally twisted the concept of conversion and salvation. So we want to be very practical today in talking about how do we speak to sinners. I want to begin by reading for you chapter 6 out of the book of Romans, chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, so that the body of sin may be destroyed, that we not hereafter serve sin. For the one having died has been freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised out from among the dead men, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, I hope you're catching that if you're still walking in sin, death has dominion over you. You can call yourself a Christian, but someone needs to have a serious conversation with you. And today we're going to talk about how to have that serious conversation. So, Alexandra, welcome. Welcome. Let's talk about the very practical aspects of how to speak to a sinner about his salvation. Yeah, so yesterday you spoke on the radio about how to pray for sinners. So that's really the first step is with prayer. And you may even be fasting for a particular person or for the salvation of the lost generally. But we can't just pray and fast and then not actually talk to the person. Because Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. So we do have a Christian duty, every Christian, to speak the gospel. And we don't need some special super anointing to do this. I mean, it's awesome to, you know, to continually be praying for a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we should be doing that. But don't feel like, you know, well, I'm not ready to talk to someone yet if you've really been converted and you're clean with jesus then it's just like any other kind of prayer so if you're in the habit of praying um, for finances or you're in the habit of praying for your your daily bread perhaps you can or for someone who's sick you can approach this with the same type of idea where you have evidence from the scriptures 
and you're praying to God and then you're walking in obedience. So th I think this is really empowering that any Christian can do it. Not only can any Christian do it, it is our duty and our obligation to speak to sinners about their sin. Yes, because we can't expect that God is just going to step in supernaturally without our influence to save someone. That sometimes happens, but we see most of the time that people tend to just continue in their sin until someone speaks to them. So, <clears throat> so after you have been praying and you have been fasting, you realize, okay, I need to speak to someone. I need to speak to the person. Well, the prayer actually begins to empower us to speak to that person. Yes. And we begin to feel a deep conviction yes. about that person. Mm -hmm. And probably you'll feel like you're going to go a little crazy if you don't actually speak to them. So that's a good sign. So the, the, there's some key principles, which is that, first of all, you always want to be talking to the person about their sin. So this is really un uncomfortable <laughs> for most Christians. We tend to say, well, I'll just share my testimony and then maybe that will encourage them to follow Jesus. Or, well, if I just repent for my sin, then maybe they'll repent for their sin. But that usually doesn't work. So there's really no substitute for that praying and preparing yourself. And then whatever sin you see in the individual, if it's someone you know well, that's what you're going to want to talk to them about. If you don't know the person well, then you want to use what Pastor Ray calls your curiosity bone and ask them some very kind but straight open-ended questions to figure out really what is their spiritual condition. So, I've always heard the four spiritual laws. And one of those is, will you repent of your sin? But it's never, will you repent of your specific sin? And conversion requires confession of specific sin. We ha Yeah, we have to see that we actually need a Savior. So that requires that we see what are God's requirements, and then how have I failed those requirements otherwise you're throwing them a bone and saying i have this wonderful thing and you can have it and you can add it to your life so you become a christian and you're told you're saved but you've never really dealt with your sin and you're not converted yes because salvation is salvation from sin yes so when you speak to the person you definitely don't want to go off on side topics. So you'll find this very commonly unless the person is really concerned about their soul. But if you're speaking to someone who has kind of been going on in sin without a lot of conviction or anxiety about their soul, um, you might end up in a situation where they're trying to deflect the topic to baptism or the Roman Catholic Church. And you don't want to go down that road. You want to stay focused on that individual's salvation. And you can just let them know. You can say, you know, these are doctrinal points that, while they're important, they're not necessary right now to the salvation of your soul. And let them know that's why you're talking to them. Now, don't let me throw you off, mm -hmm. Alexandra, but it's very difficult for a person who calls himself a Christian 
if they're walking in known sin, to talk to another sinner about their sin. Almost impossible. Yeah, I would say that you're not going to be met with a lot of success. Because we know it says in the scripture that God's prayers are, God's ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. And this is a, this is a process that without the presence of the Holy Spirit, it will blow up. Yes. So I would not recommend trying to talk to sinners unless you've been praying for them. And you're clean. Yes. So there's some key things that you want to do when you're speaking to the person. You don't want to jump the gun in any way. So you don't want to just talk to them for a few minutes and then proclaim them sa- proclaim them saved. Um, you might need to go back and forth a little bit. So you might need to ask the person some questions. They might have some questions for you. And then perhaps you start to pray with them and then you realize, wait, there's another difficulty that they have. There's another block. So then you might need to talk to them about that. So that you want to make sure that you're doing a thorough work where as the Holy Spirit is showing you certain things about the person's spiritual condition that you're talking to them about it and not just glossing over it. Yeah, if you begin to talk about theology and pray your theology and assume that they're saved because they said, yes, they'd like to receive Jesus, it's never the question, will they receive Jesus? The question is, will Jesus receive them? And the prerequisite for Jesus receiving them is a full confession of their sin. Yes, and you should be clear when you're talking to the person that salvation is not gradual. So we go from being, when we're sinners, we're in a state of rebellion against God. And when we're converted, we choose to be obedient to God and to submit to God. So you need to be clear that, you know, well, just because the person says, okay, I'll stop smoking cigarettes and I'll stop cheating on my wife. Well, that doesn't mean you're converted. It has to be a total wholesale selling out to Jesus. Everything has to be given to Jesus. And the intention of the heart is that I never want to sin again. That's, that's the heart of a converted person. You know, the heart of a, of a converted person is not involved in self-help. Okay, I'll take the smoking out or I'll take this out but I still have the ownership of my life. When that happens, usually it's a white-knuckle time then to carry out your pledge to stop smoking or to carry out your commitment to be a better person in this specific way. That's not conversion. Mm-hmm. And that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Because the the real problem is that the person is in rebellion against God. And so... Wait a minute, let's stop there. Mm -hmm. You're saying the real problem is not their smoking, or the real problem is not their cussing, or the real problem is not their stealing or their fornication. The real problem is their heart is in total rebellion against God. Yes. And these are just manifestations of that rebellion. Yes, and what, what will happen is, let's say the person 
says, okay, I'm going to stop smoking. Well, that sin is still going to just, it's going to come out just in a different way because the heart hasn't been changed. So when you see someone engaged in specific sin, that's, that's evidence that their heart has never been changed. So they may surrender in one area, but keep total ownership of their heart in every other area. Which isn't really a real surrender. That's not conversion. Right. And if we look at Romans 6, and I encourage you to read it carefully, it's very clear in Romans 6 that conversion is not a long process. It is a total crucifixion. It is a total dying out to your life. It is a total submission to Jesus Christ. So when you're speaking with a sinner, don't settle for a little self-help and a little improvement in their life. You're dealing with that specific sin as a handle to get a hold of their heart for Jesus. Yes. So as you're going through this too, we can't take it for granted that people understand all the terms that we'll be using. So you definitely want to take the time to carefully explain the terms. And you can ask, I find it helpful to just ask the person to define things like repent. I was talking to my neighbor and she told me she wanted to be born again. And then I asked her what that meant and she said she didn't even know what it meant. So sometimes people can use terms because they've heard them, they're kind of floating around in the Christian lingo, but they don't actually know what it means. And so when you're defining terms, it's really helpful to just go to the Bible. So for example, if you were going to ask for a definition of grace and the person didn't, well, said, I don't really know what grace is. You could go, for example, to Titus chapter 2, 11 to 12. And actually open up the Bible with a person and show it to them and let them read it as you read it with them. So this is just an example. So you're saying, okay, well, what is grace? So we go to Titus 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So we know, first of all, that grace brings salvation, that it's appeared to all people. And this is what it does teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we know that grace teaches us to deny all ungodliness, to deny the lusts of the world. And it also teaches us how to live soberly and how to live in godliness right now. So if you say, oh, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace but you're walking in sin and rebellion against God, you're not walking in biblical grace, you're walking in the cheap grace of easy believism that's taught today in our culture. Yeah, so you would want to talk about this if the person was genuinely having a struggle. But you don't want to confuse the person by bringing up false theology if they've never even heard of it. So if the person, if you're just talking to someone who's totally unchurched, has never read the Bible... You don't want to go down all these roads of, you know, saying, oh, well, some people believe in the sinning Christian, but that's not true. Well, they've never even heard of the sinning Christian. So that's great because you just have the freedom to just clearly present the truth. And that's what you want to do. So don't confuse the person by bringing up things that they've never heard of and then debunking them. Conversion is not the time to teach them the basic principles of the Christian life. 
It's the time to confront them with their sin and encourage them to understand how miserable they are walking in that darkness, that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Yes. And the reason for conversion is to escape the sentence of death. Uh, Romans 6, chapter, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the gift of grace, the empowerment to be crucified with Christ, it is a supernatural act on God's part in a man or woman's life. And so that wonderful gift of grace is granted to us, empowering us to confess all of our sin and to totally and completely surrender to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then you want to be clear that this conversion, it's not a long drown out process, but it's instant. So don't give them, a lot of times sinners will have the idea that, well, I'll just conquer one sin at a time, and then eventually at some point I'll have conquered all my sin and now I'll be converted. But that's not the biblical model, and it doesn't actually work, because all sin, as we said before, all those manifest manifestations of sin are coming out of a wicked heart that's in rebellion against God. And so it's that rebellion against God that has to be dealt with, where the person is going to say, okay, I am not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus, no matter what it costs me, and I'm not going to turn back. So literally speaking to a person about a specific sin that you've identified in their life or that they have identified is only the beginning of the process. Yes. It must lead them to an understanding of how wicked their heart is and how given to darkness they are and that the price for that darkness is eternal death. And they can also be made to see, as you speak to them, that they deserve death for those specific sins. So, if, for example, if we look at the first chapter of Romans, there's that long list of all the sins. Let me turn to it quickly. This is Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. So the list includes all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And then it says, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. So let's just pause there. This means that if you backbite, if you are saying evil things about someone behind their back, the scripture is saying that you're worthy of death. If you are proud, if you're disobedient to your parents, the scripture is saying that you're worthy of death. So gossip is worthy of death in scripture. Why? Because it reveals a heart that's proud. 
It reveals a heart that's wicked. Now, we've settled into a kind of status quo Christianity in America where it's viewed as a a self-improvement process. But in reality, conversion is not a self-improvement process. It's recognizing a wicked heart and it's turning away from that wicked heart and it's submitting, it is surrendering, it is consecration, it is utterly giving up the old life and taking the life of Jesus Christ. So a person who does any of these things on this list, and we could give you a number of other lists out of the scripture, Galatians gives a whole long list. Divisions, bitterness, unrighteous anger. All of these things are simply revealing the true heart. Now, how do we get past the fear of really going down there with a non-Christian or with a Christian who is so-called but not walking in righteousness? And, And I'm asking this question because we've had a great deal of difficulty at the National Prayer Chapel in the recent months because for many years I had this model of the nurturing out of sin, the coach, the process of long drawn out conversion. And I've come to understand it's utterly wrong. And it was not successful. All it produced was lukewarm Christians who were filled with all manner of of wickedness of bitterness, of pride. So our heart is given to revival and our heart is given to revival because that's the only way a sinner can be made righteous. It is the gospel. So revival is not some strange mystical thing floating out there. It's very practical and we've spoken about that this week. It is dealing with with the specific sin in my life being converted and then dealing with a specific sin of a so-called Christian. Or of a total pagan. Or of a total pagan. So how do we do this and not get killed? Well, so I wanted to actually elaborate on something you mentioned a little bit earlier. So you said, you know, the specific sins are kind of the handle that we can get a hold of, and that's true. But when you're speaking to the person, you want them to see that it's by their actions that they're going to be judged. And so they deserve eternal death for their actions, for the specific sins that you've seen them commit. And you don't want to give them the impression that they can just stop sinning on their own and then they'll be fine. Because there's two things that are needed. The first is they need their sins forgiven to not have their sins counted to them. And we know from the beginning of Romans chapter 7 that when we're dead with Christ, we're dead to the law. And that's why our past sins are no longer counted against us. But the second thing that's needed is that changed heart so that they pass from being in sin to now being in righteousness. So Jesus said in John 5 that there would be a final resurrection. And he said, they that have done good will be resurrected unto eternal life, and they that have done evil will be resurrected unto eternal damnation. 
So there's not a mix in a person's life of doing good and doing evil, doing good and doing evil. We have to make that transition, and that's what happens at conversion, where we go from living in rebellion, which is doing evil, to now being converted and born again, receiving Jesus, so he lives inside of us, and now we live in holiness and we do what is good. So that when God judges us, we're, we're really righteous before him. Our actions are actually righteous. So that's the key. So the person does deserve death for their specific sins, but you don't want to give them the impression that, well, if they just stop doing those things, that that means they're converted. Conversion is that deeper work. So how do you deal with friendship evangelism? You should probably just throw friendship evangelism out the window. It doesn't work. It's not really evangelism. It's bringing someone into a club, into a social setting. It's a place where you can begin doing improvements. But at some point, in every friendship, and I have people who are friends with me who are pagans, but at some point, they cannot truly be converted without the moving of the Holy Spirit to deal with their specific sin and uncover their wicked heart, or I'm going to have to deal, as the Holy Spirit prompts me to talk with them specifically about that sin in their life, to begin to uncover the wickedness of their very heart. Now, how do we do that? Well, let's be specific. Go ahead. Idle chit-chat won't do it. Well, so I have a list here of things to avoid. So we definitely want to avoid anything that would delay the sinner's repentance. You don't want to let the person think that they're somehow gradually making progress toward Jesus while they remain in sin. Because the truth is that the longer that they hear the gospel and the longer that they sit under preaching, the greater their guilt is every day that they don't repent. And the harder their heart becomes. Yes. So it's actually quite the opposite. You don't want to go into any kind of accusations against God or against the church. It's very important that we don't try to substitute anything for the sinner's repentance. So my love for the sinner doesn't substitute for their repentance. If I pray for the person, that doesn't substitute for their repentance. We can't try to make their repentance God's responsibility. So God commanded them to repent. God can't repent for them. So everything should be very carefully focused on the salvation of that person's soul. So wait a minute. How many times I have prayed in my past ministry, Lord, would you come and convict this person of their sin? Well, on the, on the surface, that sounds like an appropriate prayer. But if God does not come and bring conviction of sin in that person's heart, is it now God's fault that they have not been converted? Absolutely no. not. Because Jesus did everything at the cross for that person. And he has assured us of the presence of the Holy Spirit now doing his work. So it's not God's fault, it's the sinner's fault if he chooses 
not to deal in reality with his sin. Yes, God has already done everything he could possibly do to save sinners. And there's no excuse for not repenting. So one person said to me, as I was speaking with them about their sin, they said to me, Well, Pastor, I'm making progress. Well, what they're really saying is, Cut me a break, Pastor. I'm not ready to deal with my sin yet. Well, that will only cause their heart to become more hard. And it will only be more difficult later to address that sin. Do you understand? The gospel of Jesus Christ brings separation. Separation between a father and his children. Separation between a husband and a wife. It brings separation because one says, I am selling out for Jesus Christ. And the other one says, oh no, I'm not. And if you're going to be that way, I don't want to be with you. The gospel of Jesus is not a mixture of righteousness and wickedness. It calls us to walk clean, totally clean. So you want to be clear when you're praying for the person in in your prayer closet and also when you're speaking to them that the sinner is guilty. You don't want to minimize the person's guilt. And so it's key to recognize that they are already under a sentence of death, but that God in his mercy has given us Christ so that we can escape that death and be made righteous. So now when I pray, I don't pray that God will give them the gift of confession and and the gift of conviction. I pray, oh God, This man needs to confess his sin before you. Thank you for giving him the opportunity because he is guilty before you. Lord, give him courage to do what he knows he's to do. He must leave his sin now and be converted. So when you are praying or when you're speaking to the person, it's key not to try to plead the sinner's merits as a reason for God to forgive them or to give them the impression that God will forgive them because they've done certain things. So for example, you wouldn't want to say something like, well, this person really wants to serve you, God, but he's just afraid. Give him the courage to give up everything for Jesus or he's given so much time and so much money to the church, but he just, you know, has this little problem on the side where he curses at his family. So won't you, because he's given so much to the church, won't you forgive him? Well, one man said to me this week, Pastor, isn't God happy with me? I go to church. I give my tithe and offerings. I'm not going to strip clubs. I'm not watching pornography anymore. Isn't God happy with me? And I said to him, you still have a very wicked heart. You're still quid pro quo. If I do this, God, you'll cover me and bring these blessings into my life. It doesn't work that way. It's not like you can make a deal with God. And this man needed to hear me say to him, You have a wicked heart. 
And you must pray that God will give you a new heart. You must turn from this wickedness and confess and repent and surrender or you are lost. Yeah, so the key that I'm trying to show is that there's no reason God should forgive anyone. We don't deserve the right to repent. The angels sinned and they didn't have the opportunity to repent. So repentance itself, that God even gives us that, is an incredible gift. And then we have to recognize that we and all who have sinned, there's no reason why God should forgive us. So that's what I mean about saying that you don't bring the person's merits to God as a reason for them to be forgiven. The only reason for them to be forgiven is because of Christ, because he laid down his life for them. So it's absolutely undeserved. So another aspect of this is if we don't see that clearly, then we're making the person's continuance in sin God's fault. Because we're saying that, well, this person is doing all these wonderful things, and if Jesus would just help him, then he would stop doing them. But that's not true. The person just has to confess and repent. And saying, he's doing his best. Well, no, you're not doing your best until you're willing to die out. It's all on the altar. So I find it helpful to think about sinners as being in a burning building. It says in Jude that we save some by pulling them out of the fire. So if there were a fire in a building, you wouldn't walk into the people sitting in the building and say, let me pray that you'll have the courage to leave this burning building. Right? You would speak to them in such a way that they would see they're in danger and they would naturally flee from the building. So you want to give sinners the real view of what their danger and guilt actually is. And then the natural response should be that they would flee to Christ. They wouldn't feel like they didn't have the courage or they were afraid. If anything, they would feel like, how could I ever be forgiven? I don't deserve this. You have a scripture? Well, so I wanted to give some specific instructions if we're ready to move on. Okay, let's do it. So there's three basic types of sinners that we can talk about. So probably the most common group that you're encountering in your life are what we would call careless sinners. So these are people who are just living in sin and it doesn't bother them at all. They don't think about God at all. They don't think about how their sin offends him. They don't recognize they're guilty. They just have no concern about religion at all. So there's some really key things when you want to talk to someone who's careless. So as we said before, you definitely want to be praying. And then you want to pick a really good time to talk to them. So, for example, you don't want to talk to them while they're really busy at work. You don't want to try and pull them off to the side when their mind is distracted with other things. Because they'll resent it. They'll think that you're intruding on them. So even though it's true that their salvation is way more important than their work, they don't feel that way. So you want to pick a time where, you know, you have some time to sit down with a person and you can really patiently talk to them. And it's best to do this when the person is alone. Because if you get a group of careless sinners together, 
and you try to talk to them, they're most likely to just blow you off and make fun of you. I heard you say to a to a careless sinner, basically an agnostic, do you care how God feels about your sin? Do you remember? I remember. How did they answer? He said that he didn't think about God's feelings. He only thought about his own feelings. So where do you go from there? I didn't get very far because he was picking up his wife. So <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time to talk to him. So the right time is essential. Yes. If we're going to speak to careless sinners. Yeah, you want to have a time where you're not going to be interrupted. The person's not going to be distracted about something else. But where you can just have a sincere, honest, and serious conversation. It's very important when you're doing this that you're kind to the person. And, you're not scolding them. and also, But also that you're serious. So if I go, if I went up to someone and I just said in a really casual way, oh, you know, you're going to go to hell because of your sin. They're not going to take me seriously. They're going to laugh at you. And the thing is that if we really see the guilt and danger of the person as we pray for them, that that solemnness will be there. You also want to be really straightforward with the person. So as we said before, don't avoid speaking about specific sin that you know the person is in. So if you know the person is living with someone they're not married to, don't just say, well, I don't want to talk about that because it might make them uncomfortable. You want to talk to them about it, but in a really kind way, in a way that you're talking to them about it because you want them to see their need for Christ, but you need to actually say it. Conversion really requires very specific decisions. Conversion is not primarily an emotional response. It's making conscience decisions about right and wrong. If a couple is living together in sin, as one couple that I spoke to, he later said to me, I had no idea that I was doing anything wrong. Not until you spoke with me and told me what was going on between me and God that I became serious and said, wait a minute, is that what I want between God and myself? He'd never heard before that it was wrong to live with someone that he was not married to. Right. So when we go in, you know, we should have this kind of charitable mindset where we shouldn't think that, you know, they should know better and be scolding them. Some people just, they've just never actually been told. They're still guilty. Before God, they're still they're guilty. They're still guilty. But, you know, that will help you have a kind heart towards them to recognize that. So it's very important that, I just want to emphasize this, that when you're talking to a person about sin, you're not just speaking about sin in general, but you're speaking about that person's specific sin. Yes. And the point of this is to awaken their conscience and to see you also need to be presenting to them what the Bible actually says about their sin and about the wrath of God and about the judgment, about the resurrection, so that they understand 
why it matters and that they see that you're sincere and that you really believe what you're saying and that you are really concerned about them. They'll be no more concerned about their salvation than you're concerned about their salvation. That's what Armin Gesswein calls the law of revival. He says sinners are only concerned about their souls as much as Christians are concerned about them. So there's another group of sinners that we would categorize as awakened sinners. If you've heard of the Great Awakenings, the big revivals that happened in the United States, they're referring, the, the awakening is referring to the awakening of sinners. And what an awakening is, is when someone sees that there is some truth in religion but they're not necessarily convicted about their own guilt. They don't feel themselves to actually be condemned and guilty before God. So you want to be careful that you don't think that just because someone is suddenly interested about religion, that that automatically means that they feel themselves to be condemned by the law of God. So you'll probably see, you've probably seen this a lot in your own lives. Maybe someone, someone has a family member who dies and now all of a sudden the person is thinking about, well, what happens after I die? Is there an afterlife? Perhaps there's been, you know, like I imagine with the hurricanes, that that's probably a circumstance where now there's more opportunities to speak to people about religion because there's been such a catastrophic disaster that now the person is a little shaken up and they're willing to be more open to hearing about Christ. So the key when you speak to these people is to show them the breadth, like the full scope of God's law and its strict requirements and to see how that law condemns the thoughts and life of the sinner. So you want to search this out with the person and if possible, just have them melt on the spot. So your goal is to move the person from being merely awakened to actually seeing that they're condemned by the law of God so to a point of conviction so that they can then be converted. And what happened in the case of one young man that you began to speak with is very quickly he moved beyond stage one or two and became very much awakened because suddenly he's saying, I see that I'm living my life in a way that's wrong. I don't like it. I need a change. Something has to change in my heart. Yeah, so this doesn't have to be a long process. It could it could happen, you know, in one short conversation. This was just a literally a 20-minute conversation. Yes. So don't feel like, you know, you have to explain every single thing about the Bible and that it has to be a long conversation. But just listen to the Holy Spirit and just say really clearly what he tells you to say. Give the person time to think about it. And, you know, if you're just saying things that are sharp and straight and loving, that should make an impression on the person's mind. And then you ask for the sale. Yes. You know, will you confess your sin before God? Will you get right with God right now? Will you commit your life to him and ask him to begin ruling over every aspect of your heart and your life? 
Yes, and you want to be very clear. You want to give very clear instructions about you need to give everything to Jesus. You can't own your life anymore. Every single thing belongs to Jesus. I'm sure people have lots of questions. Probably. Um, I guess I have one key question. In your experience, Alexandra, you've done a lot of street preaching, as I have. How do you find people respond when you're direct with them about their sin? In street preaching? Wherever. Street preaching, I find to be a difficult situation because it's, as we talked about, you know, that's not the best situation to talk to careless sinners you know, they're thinking, I just want to go take a picture of the White House. Why are you telling me that God is condemning me for abortion? It's not really the right time or the right manner. So I definitely would say, though, that in personal conversation, one-on-one, um, -on -one, that it, the people usually become very solemn when you speak to them about their specific sin. You find that people become very defensive? I don't find that defensiveness is the normal reaction if you're really speaking to them privately. I find that defensiveness is usually evidenced in people who call themselves saved and they consider themselves to be Christian. Then when you begin to identify sin... What right have you to speak to me this way? As one woman said to me, Pastor, I am not going to consider my salvation. I am a mature Christian. Why would you speak to me this way? And she was very offended. The truth is she had no fruit in her life. She was filled with bitterness and rage against her family. There was no possible way to get to her heart except to pray until the break came. I think that when you consider that about 36% of millennials are, are unchurched and consider themselves to be agnostic or atheist, that, that we really do have a wide field. And so that sort of self-righteous defense is not the normal response for many people. And so we don't want to just have that set up in our mind because that will just kind of produce fear in us. It can produce a hardness of heart in our own heart. So we want to go in actually expecting that the person will repent. So this is not about me. No. She answers no. She could say a lot more about that. But in reality, because we're American, our culture says everything is about me. And so we have approached in our culture everything from the perspective of how will this please me? How will it prosper me? How will it help me get ahead? This work of speaking to sinners is not about me. It's a work that will probably put me on the cross. Absolutely. It's a work that 
takes me totally out of my comfort zone if I am all about me and my life. And part of what I find is often when a Christian begins to speak to another person about their salvation, they want to do a lot of telling. They want to talk about their painful experience. And I remember some 25 years ago, when I had been totally revived, had left my sin behind, had gone through very painful circumstances, I was so full of myself that I wanted to tell everybody about my testimony and my experience. In fact, a lot of churches teach you, you have to have your testimony and be ready to share that. Well, testimonies don't convert people. Testimonies don't convert people. So if you're practicing your testimony in front of the mirror, stop it. You don't have to give your testimony. You have to follow the Holy Spirit and begin to speak kindly to other people and be curious and ask them questions and then move in on their sin issue. It's not your experience that will save them. It's the power of Jesus that will save them. We have just a minute left. Is there anything you want to say about that? I just want to encourage all of you to realize that you have the freedom and liberty in Christ to pray and speak with sinners as you feel led to. And that this is in and of itself, this is what revival is. When Christians begin to share the gospel with others and then they're converted. We're out of time for today's broadcast. Thank you, Alexandra. I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We're small. We're serious. We're about salvation and revival. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find many free resources to help you in this journey. My friend, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.